Possible tail link prepaid call from an inmate at a Colorado Correctional Facility. Welcome to Hell or High Water, a multi-series podcast about a brother and sister struggling to be reunited despite the brother's 165-year prison sentence. This story is told firsthand through 20-minute phone conversations between Elisa and Nathan. The topics in this episode may be hard for some audiences to hear, so listener discretion is advised. In this episode, Nathan tells us about the day he was arrested for the last time. He walks us through the events and crimes that landed him in prison with a 165-year sentence. Twenty years have passed since these events occurred, and Nathan takes this opportunity to reflect back on his state of mind as a teenager and has a brief moment to clarify his current state of mind. We reached out to the victim of this crime, and she was gracious enough to share a written account of her side of the story with us. We recorded a voiceover actor reading the victim's account and spliced it together with Nathan's account. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello? Hey. Hey. How's it going? Good. How you doing? I'm doing good. Did you have a good day? Oh, yeah. Thanks for calling good. me Good. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Good day. Awesome, <laughs> of course. They're all good. <laughs> Just relax. You don't have to show up as anybody else but yourself for this. These will Do I sound more rigid? More I feel rigid. You sound rigid. Just loosen up, man. Do some push-ups real quick. Just do some, throw some eight hangers. You got this. You good? You do some, you do some neck rolls. Hello. All right. So there's the banter for this episode. Um, What we're going to do here is we're, I'm going to ask you to walk me through that day. Um, and actually, I'm going to start. Do you know what the actual day was? Are you talking about the day that I was arrested for the last time? Yes, that is the day that I'm yes. asking about. Uh, June 7th, 2001. Yes. June 7th, 2001. Yes. Where was I June 7th, 2001? I think I you was were living either... on Newland Street still. No, I was either in Pennsylvania or California. Oh, no, wait. I may have been, I may have been in Newland. You're right. I think you're right. Okay. All right. You're right. I was there. All right. So June 7th. Oh, yeah. I do remember. That's, that's a good memory. Okay. So that was June 7th, 2001. All right. So walk me through that day. What were the events that led up to you being, uh, to you being, hold on. Let me start over. What happened when you woke up on that day? Well, uh, that was actually, uh, uh, I hadn't slept for like, for like two, three days. I, I mean, I, I hadn't, oh. I hadn't woke up that morning. <laughs> I hadn't woke up. I mean, I, I had last woken up like, I want to say two or three days prior. And um, why is that? Well, up to that day, I had just been in, in, in this cycle where, you know, Everybody that I lived with uh, uh, in this in this two bedroom apartment that I shared with some friends of mine, uh, you know, we'd spend all our time, you know, drinking and 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 uh, you know, you know, just playing cards and and uh, uh, you know, everybody in that neighborhood. I mean, they would shoot dice, you know, craps and and and, uh, and and you know, everybody had their little thing going on. It's it's just it's a, it's a whole block of of, of uh, hood homes, which is these projects, yeah. you know, and we just spend oh, all our time in there partying. When we get too drunk. We do lines of, of coke, 
to, to you know to sober up and, and then when we got yeah. to you know jittery on coke we drank to to you know i've been doing that for about three days and how um, old were you uh i want to say 18 19 18? and i had been out yeah. of adult prison for a month maybe I, I had been out for a month and um that morning um i had ran out of uh uh alcohol and coke and, and money and, and uh you know you know and I, and I woke up uh you know my routine was to wake up and figure out how I can make some money and, and and that morning uh you know my 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 grand idea my grand plan was uh, uh to get a car that I could you know uh uh get away in and, and uh uh you know get one of these pocket ballers in my neighborhood that's what we used to call these guys who were like independent little drug dealers they you know, they were good for like seven or eight hundred bucks in their pocket. They'd stand around selling crack, and you know, you could run up on them and sneak up on them and and get them for that much money. And that that was my routine: is looking for one of these guys. And uh, I, you know, run out of people in the in the neighborhood to to, to rob. You know, I uh, fortunately had robbed them all. And uh, uh, but that didn't stop me that morning from you know just being dumb. And and I woke up and uh, uh, I went to the DMV, which was like two blocks from these projects. You know, there's a lot of cars parked there, and I noticed this really nice car that was, you know, uh, like a like a brand new car, and it was sitting there, and and the windows were tinted, and and uh, but it looked like it was running. It had like muffler smoke coming out the back, so I thought at first that uh, this car is just running. You know, maybe maybe mm-hmm. somebody just went in real quick, and I could grab it. I'm not sure of the date it happened. Basically, what happened was that my boyfriend had gotten a check and his mom wouldn't give him his ID. So we had to go to the DMV to get him a new one. My boyfriend went inside and I stayed in the car. I had a black 2000 Grand Prix on 18 inch chrome rims with black tinted windows. I was sitting in the driver's seat. I looked over to my right. I could see Nathan and his friend kind of huddled up talking to each other. All of a sudden, I see one of the guys walking towards me. I believe it was Nathan's friend. I'm not sure of his name, though. He was pacing in front of my car, and he starts walking over to the driver's side window where I'm sitting. He proceeds to ask me for bus fare. Now, I'm already in a bad mood, so I'm being rude to him. He said, excuse me, ma'am. Do you have any change for the bus? I told him, no, I don't. He then walked away towards Nathan, and they huddled up again and started to talk. They stood there for a couple minutes, looked my way. Then Nathan starts to head over towards my car. He begins to pace in front of it and then walks to the driver's window and says, excuse me, ma'am, do you have any change for the bus? I told him, I already told your friend I don't. And then as I got closer, there was a a young woman in there, and and, uh, as I approached the car, she was kind of looking at me expectantly, like, you know, what's this dude doing here, you know? And I was kind of caught, like, well, do I I proceed forward, or, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, like, what's my in here? Of course, I'm discombobulated, being a dumb drug addict and been awake forever. Mm You know, I, I just decided to take the car from her right there. You know, worst decision I ever... I can't believe that, you know, I made the decision, 
you know, without any thought of what I was doing. I just proceeded forward like I was sleepwalking, man. And uh, and uh, uh, I don't remember exactly what I told her, but, I, you know, I intimated that, like, hey, man, uh, I need your car. I'm taking your car. Nathan just stood there for a few seconds, and I was looking at him like, go away. Then he lifted up his shirt and showed me the gun. Now, me being in a bad mood, I kind of smirked at him. He then asked me to hand him my car keys. I looked him dead in the eyes, and I said, are you kidding me? Still showing me the gun, he said that he wasn't kidding. I reached over with my right hand, took the keys out of the ignition, and handed them to him, and looked at him and rolled my eyes. He took the keys, opened the door, asked me to get out, and I got out. He looked over towards his friend. His friend kind of ran over to him, and Nathan told him to go to the passenger side. He then asked me to get into the back seat, and I kind of argued with him back and forth, telling him, just take the car. I won't run and tell anybody. It's fine, whatever. I have insurance. I'm not worried about it. Nathan did not want to let me go because he said that I would be too close to a phone and would call the police too fast. She was like, what, are you serious? And I was like, yeah. You know, and I, and I, I remember showing her, like lifting up my waistband and showing her that I had this pistol on me. And, did and, you point uh, the gun at her? I think I just lifted up my waistband and showed it to her. You know, okay. I don't. I don't think I ever leveled it right at her. I don't think I. I felt like a. It, it's fuzzy to me, dude. Like I said, I'd just been on three days, and really just a month of doing that. But this is the end of three days of just being a turd, man. And uh, I don't think I. I'm pretty sure I didn't just level it directly at her. I felt like it was a soft approach because I was just I was just mm-hmm. being a dumbass kid. What and, was her uh, reaction? I remember her kind of being like surprised like what for real like is this you know what i mean are you serious you know yeah. and i remember being like yeah and uh uh was she in the driver's seat or the passenger seat yeah yeah she she happened to be right behind the wheel and so she got out and then uh in my adult way of thinking i was like well she can go and call the cops right now and give them a description of the vehicle i'm in and they're yeah. going to track me down and, and get, before i can even use this because this was like step one of a step two plan that was dumb as fuck. And step one was <laughs> just get a car and then go find somebody to jack, you know? And yeah. so uh, I tell her, well, hey, get in the back. You know what I mean? I just need to borrow your car. I think I was telling her, I need to borrow it. And uh, I remember her saying, just let me go. And I didn't register at the time. You know, with hindsight, I, I can remember that she was scared, you know, when I was saying, yeah. you know, hop in. But at the yeah, time, I didn't register to me because she doesn't know what I'm thinking. In my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to go drop her off. Who knows yeah. what she's thinking? She's probably like, well, what the fuck is this dude taking me for, you know? Totally. I didn't, it, it did not register to me, you know? Yeah, and, um, like that, so, knows what she would have been thinking, yeah. Yeah, dude, probably like, you know, what the fuck Probably the worst, this, unfortunately, you know? for a young lady, too. Yeah, uh, straight up. Uh, turd. Straight up turd that morning. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I... Uh, I continued to argue with him, and finally he kind of got upset and just said, get in. 
So I got in the back seat behind the driver's seat. Nathan got in the driver's seat. His friend was in the passenger seat. He handed over the gun to his friend and told his friend to hold the gun to me and if I was to make any moves for his friend to kill me. We began to take off. As we were driving away, I looked over towards my son's empty car seat. My son was not with us that day. Then we took off down Mississippi Avenue, going towards Santa Fe Drive, and we drove. So I drove, like, maybe a block or two. There was this, um, there's, like, this little golf course where you can hit, like, golf balls in the water. It's like a little driving range mm-hmm. by uh, Florida and Santa Fe, and uh, mm-hmm. dropped her off and took off. You know, I dropped her off and, and then took off, and I was looking for some way to... Did you guys like talk at all target. when you were in the car? Did you talk at all? I don't. I don't remember talking to her at all. I. I don't remember. Ta- I. I was like. I was barely learning how to drive. You know what I mean. And this is like yeah. a really nice fancy car. And you how know, long were you I in the car like, with her? Maybe five minutes. Probably okay. less than that. Three minutes. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, it just like like I said, man. I didn't even look at her. I, I was so focused on figuring out what I was going to do. I was like on a mission, you know, like a dumbass. You know what I mean? Just I felt like mm-hmm. I was trying to. Trying, trying to get some bread, you know. He was kind of slow, I guess, because it felt like forever. I kept pleading with him, just go ahead and drop me off, like, wherever. But Nathan didn't want to do that, like I said, because he felt like I would be too close to a phone to call the cops. We talked back and forth. I can't really remember what we were talking about. All I know is that Nathan had looked in the rearview mirror and told me, damn, you are fine. I got scared because I was wearing a skirt that day, and of course, I feared being raped. He then turned off onto a frontage road by the Platte River. He drove down the frontage road, pulled over, and told me to get out. I got out. They took off. So I dropped her off maybe like four or five minutes later, and I was cruising around tr- trying to figure out how to drive this car and uh, uh, looking looking for like some some easy mark, you know, where I could where I could make a, a couple bucks. And the cops got behind yeah. me. And uh, how well, how shortly or how long after you dropped um, uh, her out of maybe the car? 10 to 15 to minutes. Okay. Maybe ten to fifteen. Because I went all the way down now. You... Oh, okay. You had already gone downtown. Okay, so yeah, what I went from the, the south side. Yeah, it must have been ten or fifteen minutes. Like, like I said, uh, uh, these dudes were on the lookout. You know what I mean? Like, I, I couldn't get none of these independent little crack dealers. You know what I mean? So now I'm like branching out looking for something, and I ended up going all the way downtown and right near Illich's. And this cop car was going, you know, the opposite direction. And I seen in the rearview mirror he turned his lights on and turned around. And uh, oh, I was like, awesome. oh fuck, you know. And uh, so I hit the gas into a turn. I mean, in my first attempt to get away, I didn't even make it 20 feet. I hit the gas instead of a brake into a turn, and I couldn't, uh-huh. I couldn't hold the wheel. And and uh, I hit another car, and I jumped out, and I and I ran for like maybe 50 feet. And uh, I was so out of shape from smoking cigarettes and drinking and doing drugs that uh, you know I was just so gassed within 50 feet. You know, dude, just dude, dude, just just he could have walked up and grabbed me. You know, and, and mm-hmm. that was it. They, they slammed the cuffs on me, and 
and right there at that moment, uh, it didn't, it did not register even then how much trouble I was in. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. uh, I knew I had a warrant for parole violation because I was supposed to go sleep at this homeless shelter and report it. And I just, I didn't do it. I didn't follow the directions. And so that, that, that was it. And I have never been free since then. And I ended up uh, so... with a total of 165 years. I walked over to a bridge and I crossed Santa Fe and walked into a company. I don't know the name of the company. I walked in, they greeted me with hello. I greeted them back with hello. And I asked if I could use her phone. I said that I was just carjacked and kidnapped at gunpoint. And I called my family first because I was worried that my boyfriend was probably freaking out. Then I proceeded to call the police and told them that I was carjacked at gunpoint and taken and then dropped off by two males, one white, one Hispanic. Driving my car, I gave them the description. My family showed up and picked me up. Then we went home. Probably within an hour, a detective came and picked me and my boyfriend up. The detective told me that they caught them over by Elitch Gardens. We went downtown and we pulled up so I could identify them. Nathan's friend was handcuffed in the front and he kind of put his hands in a praying position. And he saw that I was in the detective's car and he was saying, please, please, I could read his lips, but I told the detective that's the one that had the gun on me from the passenger side. I asked about Nathan. The detective said he's just around the corner. We went around the corner, and I believe they had him down on a vehicle handcuffing him. They stood him up and started to walk him over, and the detectives asked if that was the driver and I identified Nathan. Yes, it was. I wanted to see my car because they said that it was wrecked. I went and checked it out. The officers had the gun on top of the hood of my car in an evidence envelope. I asked the officer if the gun was loaded, and the officer pulled it out of the envelope and dropped all the bullets. So when you woke up that morning, the first thing you did was steal the car from her? No, the first thing I did was I woke up and and there was like 15 people passed out all over, you know, this apartment we're living in, except for this little dude named Dave, who's like 15 years old and, um, you know, he was the only one awake sitting there smoking a cigarette. And, and uh, I, was like, I was like, what are you doing, man? He's like, thinking, he was like, I'm thinking, how am I going to make some money today? I was like, well, just come with me, man. We'll go figure some shit out. And me and him left, and and uh, uh, and that, that was it. We went, we walked. You know, the DMV was like maybe a block from where we were living at. And uh, uh, so we so walked right there. So where does the robbery come in? The ro- well, the, for that one criminal episode, all right, for... Mm-hmm. You know, I get robbery because I'm robbing her car. Okay, they they consider that aggravated robbery, and then second degree kidnapping because I took her with me, and 
and, and dropped her off, right? moving her against her will, that, that's kidnapping, and then aggravated motor vehicle theft, and uh, because that was the third time uh, that I had caught a felony, uh, they gave me three times the maximum, which was 72, 36, and 9, all for that one okay. act. You know what I mean? So they, they, when did the robbery of the gas station My car was given to me by my brother, who has been deceased for 21 years now. He told my father to make sure I was okay, and that was what I really needed to help me in life. After Nathan wrecked it, I don't know, things were never the same. It's just not yours anymore. It's uncomfortable to drive. I mean, it's not yours. I remember meeting up with my attorneys, and my attorney was trying to coach me through everything, trying to tell me what I needed to say and how I needed to say it. Kind of just coaching me on the whole thing to help the court with me. They told me that they would bring in Nathan, and he would be dressed up, and he would not look like the person that he was that day. And they were right. I took the stand, and my attorneys asked me all the questions, and I knew everything in detail from, you know, when we left, and how the car was taken, when he dropped me off, and what happened from there. After that, it was just a done deal. I received a letter in the mail. After that letter, I didn't receive anything else. You guys are the first ones who have contacted me. If there is anything else that I can do, please let me know. And it's been 20 years since this has happened, and I feel like Nathan has served his time. He did not hurt me. He actually was really nice. But, you know, if that's the law, I guess that's what he has to take care of. But... Anyways, I really hope this helps you guys. It was kind of hard at first to talk about this because memories just come back, you know. I never thought about this stuff. It really wasn't on my mind. Other things were. And then when it came back, it just kind of hit me. But everything is fine now. I'm kind of... An angry person, and you know that contributed to me being the person that I am. That's just part of it, and I'm sure there's a lot more. I hope it all works out for you guys. Thank you. So let's go through that. Walk me through that. Because that, all these years, I have literally thought that those two things happened on the same day. That you went no, and that was you two robbed, days before. You robbed that liquor store and you ran out and your buddy got away in the getaway car. See, and that's the thing is that so many people have these different stories of what happened that I want to get the story straight. I want to figure oh, out what yeah. exactly happened. So well, that morning, June 5th, uh, uh, you know, that was... The same, that was the beginning of this run. I was on this three-day run of, of of doing lines of coke and and just drinking cases and cases of beer and just hanging out in the projects. And uh, 
uh, that was like a block from where we were at. And for me, it was almost like shopping. Oh, I got to go out and get some money to get more beer or something. And it was that, that, that's how casually I treated it. And uh, there was a gas station about a block from where we were at, and uh, that same little dude, Dave, you know, uh, 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 he drove for me, and and uh, we went in. Uh, I, I went in there and I had a little note, which says, uh, uh, you know, give me all the money in the registry. It was a note that, that I wrote on a note, and I handed it uh, uh, to the teller, who was Korean and didn't read a lick of English. You know what I mean? Oh, so she was had looking to, like, at me like, what the fuck? Robbed. Yeah, like what the fuck does this mean? You know, like, in confusion. And, 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 and so I lifted up my waistband and showed that I had a pistol there. And, and, uh, and uh, uh, so the, uh, you know, the, I had to open the register myself and reach over and, and grab the cash out. And uh, uh, some dude happened to walk in, some dude on his way to work. And he just stumbled right on the middle of this. And he was like, whoa. I was like, hey, just give me a second, man. He's like, I just needed some matches. So I grabbed <laughs> this big box of matches and chucked it to him. And he said, thanks, man. <laughs> this dude, he said, you know, some some blue white dude. He's like, he's like, thanks, man, and ran off with a box of matches. And uh, there was an ambulance. Uh, well, uh-huh. there were sirens in the distance, and I saw my driver peel out. Uh, he just left me there. He thought it was the cops, and an oh. ambulance sped past. And and uh, so I knew he wasn't coming back. So I huffed it on foot. I ran back to, to the projects, and uh, and that was that. They pulled my fingerprints off of that note. Uh, I guess. I guess paper and that's how they connected the you to that. Yeah. yeah. So how? Yeah. Where does uh, where does that crime come into play with your um, this, the final sentence? Well, I got 48 years because uh, uh, because because now every felony I, I, I caught, uh, they, they charged me as habitual criminal. So uh, the max you could get for that crime would be 16 years. But because uh-huh. they considered me a habitual criminal, they gave me times three, which is 48. So I got... Okay. Uh, so you got 48 so, so years for because that. Because it's a separate crime. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's a separate crime, so it runs consecutive. So okay. I have to finish this 120 years, or I have to finish the 72 years for that car issue before I start that 48. Even though the robbery happened before mm-hmm. the... Yeah. So you got 72 years. So I just want to break down these charges so we understand them clearly. The 72 years total is because you were charged as a habitual criminal for the aggravated car theft, which was how much time? 72 years for that. They gave me 36 and 9, but they're concurrent, so that doesn't really matter. The governing sentence is 72 years for that. So were there three charges in that with the kidnapping? The robbery yeah. of the car yeah. and the and the aggravated carjacking. So those uh-huh. three things, they pulled All those three yeah, things they, together to give you 72 years. 72 years. And so that's one felony, right? Or is that? Yes. And then well, the it's other several felony. felony charges, but the first conviction that they give you is uh, uh, the one that, you know, that's your determining sentence. So the robbery which is the first one I was sentenced on before they got to the kidnapping and the, and the motor vehicle theft, all stemming from this one criminal act. The max I could have got before, the maximum sentence was 24 years. But okay. because of the habitual for criminal all of it. they had to give me 24 times 3, which is 72. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then so that's one. And then the other one was the robbery from the liquor store. Yeah. And that was 48 uh-huh. years. 
And then the third thing that they used to sentence you, give you the bitch, was what we spoke about in the previous episode of the robbery that you did when you just stole a bag of weed off of that kid on the street and he called the cops. You went to big boy jail for that. You went to adult prison and then Uh you got released to a halfway house. And when it was at that halfway house that you escaped from, you walked out the front door and they considered they considered that felony escape. So, and you were 16 when that happened. So 16, and I got charged they... an adult, went okay. to adult prison, uh-huh. went to a halfway house, walked out the door. That's strike two. Strike mm-hmm. three is still in that car, and uh, that's it. So from 16 to 18, uh, that's that's determined everything. One, two, three, just just like that, you know. And and in terms of the severity of your crimes, I am not. For the record, I am not discounting that your crimes were horrible and you should have never done them and they were awful, but no one was physically injured in any of your crimes. Yeah, yeah, let me set the record straight on that. You know, uh, didn't hurt anybody, but I don't want to minimize the fact that uh, being robbed is probably scary as fuck, you know what I mean? And, and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know... uh, I, I didn't hurt anybody, but I, but I'm pretty sure that, that being that scared, you never know what the other person is thinking. You never know if this person's going to shoot you, or yeah. you know I mean, like right now, I imagine someone showing you a gun and taking something from you, and I would hate that person. You know what I mean? Hey, I, bef- I, 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 yeah. I would. Before we but, go, Nathan, but, I want to ask you a question. If you could say one thing to the victim of the car that you stole today, and if she could hear what you had to say. What would you say to her? I am. I am so sorry. You know, uh, there's there, there's no words. I, I don't know how you say sorry for something like that. Uh, you know, I'm, you have 60 seconds remaining. She probably worked for her car, and and you know, she had a baby seat in the back of that car, dude. You know what I mean? And and, and at any point in time whatever conscience I had buried under all that drugs and alcohol could have kicked in and said, hey, you know what the fuck? But it didn't, and I, I, I'm so sorry, you know. I, I'm really sorry for 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 stealing from her and scaring her and, and, and you know, traumatizing her like that, man. You know what I mean? And I, I, I'm sorry from the bottom of my heart. You have 30 seconds remaining. That, that's, there, there's, there's no words for something like that. I, I mean, all, all you can say is I'm sorry to you, you know? Absolutely. Well, hey, thank you for going over I that with me. And I love you too so much. And you are not your crime. And I've always believed that and I've always said that. And I love you so much. Thanks, and uh, I love you too. call me tomorrow. I will. Touch us and howdy. All right. I love you. Love you too. Bye. end of each episode alisa and i are going to recap what we just heard and try to answer a few basic questions about the storyline uh so we just heard about the day that nathan was arrested for the last time yeah and the series of crimes that were involved that essentially landed him in prison for 165 years you obviously know a different nathan than the one that we just heard about yeah you 
leaned on him as your security net, your support system growing up. So you know a very different side of him than the people who interacted with him by getting robbed or Mm -hmm. um, being victims of his crimes. Mm -hmm. Talk about that other side of Nathan and what do you think made that person that you know commit these crimes? So, you know, the, the Nathan that I've always known is still, he's the same Nathan that is, is sitting behind bars right now. Um, one of the things that I try to tell him often is that you are not your crimes. So one of the things that we did growing up to kind of normalize our situation is we watched, we watched a lot of Jim Carrey movies. And so Nathan constantly did everything that he could to make me laugh. So laughter was a a huge part of our childhood and a huge part of our coping. And it still is. Um, Nathan is a lover. Nathan is a helper. Nathan is somebody who looks out for the underdog constantly. Like granted, yes, he was, you know, causing, he was committing these crimes and causing trouble in neighborhoods and these things that he was doing the, for what he was charged with, you know, those innocent people were, were unfortunately on the wrong end of a bad day for him, but that was all due to grief. Every single instance that he did when he did that, it was it was fueled by anger and pain and grief and hopelessness and a lack of understanding and maybe even a lack of caring about consequences. You know, he just wanted to feel something. He just wanted to feel anything because he felt so dead on the inside. And so he did all of these things to feel alive, to feel pain, to feel fear, to feel anger. That's so unfortunate. And, you know, Nathan and I didn't actually see each other from the last time we saw each other on the streets to 2010 was the first time that I saw him behind bars. He carried that anger with him. And the first time I saw him... I saw someone I didn't recognize and then it all just melted away and I had my brother back in that instant and with the glass between us and the jumpsuit and the chains and the cuffs and the guards and the the phone and the metal chair, all of it, he was still him and through that for both of us, you know, he became that person again that I needed to lean on and vice versa. And he still is that strength for me and for everybody. I mean, unfortunately in prison, the only things they write down are the things that go bad. But if you could hear stories of people in prison who have said that Nathan has saved their life and changed their life and made sure they got to go home to their mom, that's what his purpose is. That's what he does. And that's never changed. Yeah. He committed these crimes, but he's still the same person who tried to save our mom from herself, who tried to save me from our childhood, from every pain that could have happened. He's he's the hero of the story, unfortunately, and under the circumstances that he has to be incarcerated, but he's always going to be the hero. And he's the hero in a lot of people's stories. From as much of the story as I've heard, it, I just keep hearing about how he was trying to hold things together and fill in this void that your guys' mother was leaving Mm -hmm. because of her alcoholism. 
and he just struggled through his whole childhood into his young adult life to try and keep things together. And it all ended up falling apart anyways Mm -hmm. when your mother passed away. Yeah. He was in, he was in juvenile hall when she passed away. Uh, Actually the day before she passed away, he, she came to see him and said, you know, take care of your little sister. I love you. And the next day he was supposed to be released into her custody. And he even told me, he was like, I was going to, everything was going to be okay. I was going to be a good boy. She was going to stop drinking. We had this whole plan to get you back. We were going to be a family again. And she died that night. And they actually released him into her custody still, even with her being dead. And so he just got lost to the streets of Denver. I can only imagine the kind of void one would feel within, like, struggling your entire life just to keep things together and then to be released from juvenile hall to that reality. I can just imagine the kind of guilt and con- and survivor's guilt yeah. of just wondering, like, if I, if I had just done something differently or... Mm-hmm. If I had said these words, this outcome wouldn't have happened. Um, And being young and not completely in control of your emotions, I can definitely see how someone would go on a a crime spree. And, And especially unbounded at that point by the loss of your mother. Yeah. There's nothing there anymore to keep him in check. Yep. There's no reason to try and keep things together anymore. And not only that, he didn't have anything to run back to. He was always running away from something to go back to her. And now that he had nothing to run to anymore, that's what started that path of destructive behavior. And it just was a downward spiral that gained momentum. And, you know, not having a father, his father made it clear, um, along, I mean, I never met his father. I never talked to him or anything, but, uh, my biological father spoke with him about 25 years ago and basically said, I want nothing to do with that woman and I don't want anything to do with my son either. So Nathan never had a chance. I mean, he never had a chance. How old were you the last time you saw Nathan outside of prison? I had just gotten back to Colorado from California. I believe that I, I was 14 I'd either just turned 14 or I was just turning 15. Yeah, I'd just turned 14. That's what it was. And my dad was renting my older sister, Tara, a house over off of Colfax and Sheridan. Uh, It's no longer there. It's now a Walgreens. But Tara threw a party at that house, and she told me that Nathan was going to come. And he showed up, and he had this little gold ring with an A on it, my initial. I still have that ring, actually. And he gave that to me, and it was... I got to see him, and it was the last time I saw him on the streets. And we just sat together on this little couch and stared out this window on the... uh, It was like kind of like a window that goes out on the roof a little bit. And we just sat there in silence and held each other and just loved on each other. I don't know, maybe he knew it would... He wouldn't be able to see me again soon, or... I could tell that he was not, you know, himself... And then how many years passed until you saw him again in in prison? Uh, so that would have been 
I mean, that was right before he went away, so that was 2000, so 10 years. I didn't see him for 10 years. Wow. Yeah. I got, unfortunately, got myself into a little bit of trouble in high school and was unable to visit him. My my father uh, didn't, I don't think he was supportive of having me go see him with, you know, the supervision of a parent, legal guardian, so my dad never took me to see him. Um, so once I was of age and I had taken care of my own, you know, issues with, um, the law, um, I was approved to see Nathan in 2010, November 2nd, 2010 was the first time I saw him behind bars. We'll talk about what that day was like in another episode. What do you think Nathan would do in society if he were released today? Oh, we and dream about that. What do you like? What do you see him doing for work, or where do you see him living? Do you see him like getting a car? And well, it's kind of crazy. We talk about this a lot because he went, he he went to prison right before the like technological boom happened. I think he had a pager. We talk about that sometimes, but he still calls Google Goggle. You know, he. He doesn't understand Alexa. He's it, it blows his mind, some of the stuff that I say that you and you and I, it's so normal to us, you know? And, like, I'll say something off the cuff to him, and he's, I'm sorry, what? So, you know, for work, Nathan and I, our goal, it always has been, it always will be, regardless of when he gets out, we're doing it now, but um, helping children who were in the same situation as we were in. Nathan wants to be an advocate for young men who are turning to, you know, gangs and street life because of what they're missing at home. And he just, he says it constantly. If I could just intercept these kids, man, if I could just talk to them and tell them that any, everything they think they know is wrong and all this, you know, he does it while he's in prison. He is, there's so many young kids that go into prison and they've got five years and they want to be tough and go into this gang. And, and he's like, no, 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 no. Once you do that, your life's over. You can't come back from that. And so that's a big part of what he wants to do. Uh, he's an amazing tattoo artist. And, you know, we have a lot of friends who are tattoo artists and artists in general. And so he would love to do something with art. Um, because of the support system he has just through our friends and family, everyone, you, you know, Tony, Keith, everybody has been like, you know, what? I'll teach him how to throw a hammer. I'll teach him race. I'll teach him how to plumb a house, you know, like, so he has all of these opportunities of people who are just willing to teach him. And because he hasn't been hands-on with anything, he would do anything for work. Um, driving a car. I can't wait to teach Nathan how to drive a car. Uh, we talk about that all the time. Um, I've also heard that I'm not the best driver, but I know I'm a good teacher. So that will be that. And, um, you know, my life will change aggressively when he gets out and, you know, a big part of repeat offenders is they go back to the same place that they, you know, were having those crimes happen. And so I would probably pack everything up and we would move far away and just start over. He loves nature. He just wants to be in nature. And so we would probably, you know, go live on the, off the land or something, off the grid, that rural farm life, maybe get a cow. I hope it happens. It will. What is one thing you would have done differently 20 years ago, knowing what you know now? I like, would have. Like, for example, at, at that party where you saw him mm -hmm. for the last time, like, knowing what you know now, is there something you would have done differently in that moment to... Yeah. 
I'd have fucked him up. I would have had some serious words with him. I just idolized him so much, you know? Like, he was just my big brother. He was my hero. He couldn't have done any wrong. But knowing what I know now, if I could go back in time and see him at that party, that night that we sat in silence on that couch looking out that window would have been filled with me telling him where he was going to end up and how separated we would be. If he knew that he and I would not have ever been able to be free on the outside world again, he wouldn't have done those things. He wouldn't have. He just needed a little bit of perspective change, and he would have listened to me. I would have told him. You have quite the collection of letters and artwork from your communications with Nathan over the last 20 years. And at the end of each episode, you pick a poem to share with the listeners. Yeah, I mean, I've got a lot here. And I guess not all of them are incredibly relative to each episode. Uh, But since the last couple that we read were a little on the darker side, um, I want to read this one that he wrote about how he longs for something that he's never experienced and how much he's in love with this thing that he's never had, which I think is a really beautiful concept. He's very in touch with all sides of himself and through his writing and getting it on paper, you know, it's been, it's been the journey of healing for him. But this one, um, again, this one is not titled or dated, so I'm not exactly sure when he wrote it, but, uh, here it goes. I love the world in autumn when it's thousands sha- with its thousand shades of gray, when the sunlight barely filters through in the middle of the day. A deeper, darker hue of green that's interspersed with brown, a rustling of dried orange leaves that are slowly falling down, with a rain that pitter-patters, causing everything to glisten. Raindrops dripping from the branches can be heard if you listen. Thunder rumbling through the skies and lightning lightning suddenly striking. Filled with beauty and mystery, this world is to my liking. When the trees and stones and dirt is wet, the earth has a wonderful smell. And when the sun has a dusky amber glow, that everything, then everything feels well. Sure, summer has its charm when everything is bright and warm. And winter is quite beautiful in the middle of a storm. Spring can be enchanting when life is blooming and refreshed. But when my eyes see autumn skies, that's the time that I love best. If only I could lose these shoes and dig my toes into the dirt, then this lifetime of captivity would probably cease to hurt. Oh, to be among the trees and grass and birds and cloudy shade. The rest of my life for one day out there would be an even trade. I need the air that blows out there. I crave the wind and the rain to ruffle through my clothes and hair and wash away this pain. So standing at my window here, my head rested against the glass, a soul filled with longing as another fall comes to pass. Really puts into perspective the things we take for granted. Absolutely. When when you don't have freedom. Yeah. Well, I think that concludes this episode. 
I look forward to uncovering more of the story in episodes to come. Me too. What can people do to help or where can they find more information or if they have questions and they want to reach out, is there a way to contact? Yeah, um, absolutely. So we have a uh, change.org petition. You can go to www.change.org and search Freedom for Nathan Jordan's Unjust 120-Year Sentence. That's 120. Um, and we also have a Facebook page with that same name. Freedom for Nathan Jordan's Unjust 120-Year Sentence. And there's also a link to uh, the change.org petition there. And you can post any questions or comments or anything that uh, you would like to know for further information about that on that page. Um, I do get notifications for that. So I, um, I would love to answer any questions you have. Um, also calling and or writing Governor Jared Polis. Um, we are always hoping to get a pardon or clemency um, for Nathan. We try every few years. So you can um, Google how to contact uh, Governor Polis online. There is an address and a phone number uh, that you can easily access. Um, and yeah, that would really help. <laughs>